0: One thing that's helped me when I've started finally studying the Bible in New York is that, okay, this is not shying away from the fact that there's going to be suffering, and there's going to be a lot of it, Mm -hmm. and it's going to suck. And it's going to be tribulations and trials. And Jesus says, I mean, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me first. You know, so there's all of that in there, and then you see the world around you, and you're like, well, okay, that makes sense. Look at the suffering. Look at all this crap. You know, I mean, and, and so and it's it's heartbreaking, but it's like, OK, the Bible at least is being honest about it. Yeah. You know, and I tell an atheist, they go, well, how does atheism explain that? The suffering and all that, you know, so it can't because you were just we're just floating in the breeze, you know. So so that's that's kind of the caveat. Is yeah. that, and that's what I found out is that thank God it's not up to me. Good mm. Lord. I'm t- I mean, Bill Craftsman even said, if it's up to me, I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it's, but you know what? It, it's like, you know, you go to the gates of St. Peter and you go to the gates of heaven and St. Peter says, why should I let let you in? Nine times out of 10, people are going to say, well, I, I, I've been a pretty good person. I've li- I, it's not like I've killed anybody. It's not like I'm Hitler. Yeah. I, I haven't. You know, I've lived a pretty good life. Uh, technically, according to the gospel, that's not the right
1: answer. Yeah. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experienced with an ED. Click on podcast, scroll down to this episode and other episodes where you can download them from all the different platforms. Click to read more, learn more about the guests. Naturally, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, go to the homepage, click find a trusted professional. doesn't matter where it's at. We'll do all the legwork. work. Make sure you get someone who's not a moron that can actually help you buy and sell real estate. And I'm trying to be extra funny because you'll click on that podcast button to download episode whatever number this one will be with my good friend, Gordon Rose. Welcome to the show, Gordon. Oh, thank you so good much. Sir. Thank you so much, my friend. Man, I've been trying to get you on here for a year, and you were always coming up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I think, I think
0: you're the one that's too busy, actually, is what's, no, is what's been happening. No, man. You are like, no. I mean, you're, you're, kind of, you're kind of blowing and going all over the place. Well, that, man, just... that's,
1: I, that's par for the course for me, though, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. right. So. My father-in-law said when I started the show, I got I to gotta start off with a joke. Okay. So I do a joke at the beginning of all, and these are intentionally not good jokes. Okay, well, And she it's good to good.
0: follow your father-in-law's advice. Actually, oh, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's so,
1: probably. And I, I hope whenever he listens to these, it annoys him. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, why did I ever get him to do that? Why does he keep bringing my name up? All right. So I thought this would be, this, this would be uh, uh, fitting for you since uh, we, your nickname is G-Money. Being a Gordon. One one of the many names. One of the yeah. many names. Yeah. I know they say that money talks, but mine always says goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my I, that would that
0: joke would be good for me in, in the poker games we play. And that's that's well, when uh you know No, mine says goodbye to
1: you quite often. <laughs> Right? right, and then uh, and then you you usually make it quite a bit further and then, than I do. But then mine says goodbye pretty quickly. After that. not afterwards, as long as yeah. you're not out before me, right? that's right, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And so so Gordon and I know each other from Fort Worth Club. Been friends down there for you know good god ten years. Yeah, it's been a while. And there there's a poker game that goes on at Fort Worth Club that we've been playing in together for for many many years, and just we we've, we've just run in the same circles and just been friends for a long time, and. And I gave him a hard time because, you know, his name's up on the building and all that, you know. And so because his name's (laughs) on the building. We just finagled that with Walter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. So so. because his name's on the building, it felt like I had to annoy him. So when they used to come out with a quarterly Fort Worth Club magazine, i purposely do the whole entire centerfold. Just I'd be like, you might be on the building, but I got the centerfold. (laughs) That's
0: right. That's right. That's exactly right. So, uh,
1: yeah, it's, uh, yeah, first time I met Jeremy
0: was this guy. I forgot who it was that wanted me to meet you. But we were in the library at the Fort Worth. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, this, this
1: was before the Davy O'Brien room yeah. was opened up. Yeah. So we were in the yeah. library
0: and all of a sudden this this big boisterous guy, you know, Jeremy Spann comes in. And I was like, oh, this guy seems fun. I'm gonna and so we sit down, and literally I was about to order a drink, and all of a sudden the waitress comes over with a bottle of Middletons and just sets it down in the middle of the table. Didn't say a word, and I'm like so, who is this guy?
1: <laughs> What's going on? Who is today? this guy? And why does he get bottle service at yeah. a club? Or my name's on the bill, Yeah, damn he it? gets a bottle
0: delivered to him. So, that was pretty fun. That yeah. was pretty fun. So, that was my first introduction to Middleton's, actually. Yeah.
1: So, and, yeah. and, and. Still, long time listener, long time fan. Exactly. Of it, right? Exactly. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh so. man, I love it. So for the, I, I consider Middleton's the thirty year Macallan of Irish whiskeys. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to find. It's not totally yeah. easy to find.
1: No, it's it is definitely hard to find. Yeah. I uh, I usually keep a couple bottles up at the house in uh, Colorado, just because it is you can't find it up there. At least I haven't found it, and I don't keep any bottles down here. Because I really don't drink that much when I'm up in Colorado. But when I'm down here, I drink a lot. And I'm like, well, I really don't need to be drinking a lot of $400 booze, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a little expensive. And burn, and burn through that one real quick. More expensive right? than Johnny Walker Blue. So, you yeah. Know, and and I'm that. not, you know, I've never been a Johnny Walker Blue fan. I've never
0: been a Johnny yeah. Walker
1: fan, period. Yeah.
0: I like the blue. The blue's smooth. I like the blue, but I don't buy it very often. Because yeah. obviously, you know, it's too expensive to buy too often. Oh,
1: yeah. Now, you are big into beer.
0: Uh, yeah, I was a beer fan. Although, I'll tell you what, as I've gotten older, it's gotten harder and harder to kind of be able to continue to be into beer. Yeah.
1: But yeah. You know why? That's because it's called calories and we're getting older. calories and
0: acid reflux and whatever, oh, you know, oh, yeah. all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
1: There's a reason why when you get older, you stop wearing khakis. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly right.
0: But but yeah, I still like beer though. I like a good IPA or a good, a, a good lager or, you know,
1: well, you did a, uh, what, what do you still do this deal? Um, that was it like a Bible and beer. Or? Yeah. The Bible and beer consortium. Yeah. Right? It's that 501c3 that we have. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, COVID shut that down for a little bit and, yeah. and it's still to this day, we haven't done an event since COVID. But the Facebook page is alive and well. The Facebook page is doing uh, yeah, well. the right. friends of the BBC is what it's called. Right. The BBC. Yeah, we call it the BBC, the Bible and Beer Consortium. Oh, I was it's, about to
1: say, you know, that also stands for another of other things. That, it does. Might not, might not rhyme with the uh, Bible and Beer Consortium, right? Yeah, here. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gage is looking. Gage, our sound engineer over here is cracking up. You know where I was going. He with knows that, where he's talking. You? Yeah, yeah, I know where your mind's at. It's down in the gutter, it, so. But, uh,
0: but yeah, no, it's a great. It's been a great group. It's been a great experience. Um, it's it's the one place where I've seen atheists and Christians come together. Yeah, to debate. Yeah. And Tell this, me about and that. Talk, and, t- talk about that. So it started Ezra Boggs uh, started the group back in 2013, and uh, he basically had the mentality of there is no gospel free zone, and so he. Thought about where would Jesus be if he came back today? Would he be in the churches? No, he'd be in the pubs and the bars talking to people. And so he thought, this is great. Let, let's do, let's do a deal where we go into pubs and bars. We bring in speakers, an atheist and a Christian to debate and discuss. And then we have a Q and A. And, uh, it started out where it was just a Christian speaker. But then as we got going, we realized the debates are, it's, it's just a little bit more. Let's get both sides right so we can bring in more people of all backgrounds and it really has just been an amazing the atheists love us they go oh this is so great that y'all do this you know and the fact that y'all aren't scared to talk about this stuff you know and that's what was so appealing to me was that they weren't scared to talk about the hope that they had with and they do it with gentleness and respect as second peter says so so it's really been a fun group i mean covid shut us down you know obviously and then uh, <laughs> the Friends of the Bible and Beer Facebook page is still up and running, and there's a lot of avid uh, discussers oh, yeah. on there that like to chime in and give their two cents. And, but it's been good. It's been great. Ezra lives uh, up in Gainesville, so he actually doesn't live in Fort Worth anymore, but we still, whenever we start him back up, uh, and then it got to a point before COVID where it was, we were doing it all over the state. I mean, we'd have really? one, We'd have an event in Austin where we'd bring in these How speakers. How often were y'all doing it? Like maybe once a month. Something like yeah. that once every couple months, depending on it. – it's really – we're such a small ragtag group of misfits, that's what I tell people, that uh, it depends on Ezra's schedule, you know, yeah. and, and or it depends on me and, and Micah, who's our IT guy, Yeah, who we couldn't do it without him. I mean, he was just – and he, he would live stream it. You oh, know? really? So, I mean, if you go to the YouTube page, there's tons of old – the Bible and Beer YouTube page. Bible and, that, and Beer YouTube that page. Bible and Beer Consortium YouTube page. There's tons of – Great debates and, and talks on there from everywhere from the door in Dallas, the bar or the profit bar in Dallas, yeah, to you know the world of beer here in Fort Worth, the old Gingerman. Oh, they, yeah. yeah, before they got rid of that, that was the first place we had it. It was the edge. Uh,
1: Why did that thing get tore down? You know, I don't know, I do not know. That place was a pretty hard line staple for a long and time, and it all there. of a sudden was gone, like then literally. Yeah, Yeah, it's just a lot. Yeah. Right. So I don't think they built anything there. I don't know. I haven't driven down there. And
0: the bars loved us because we would bring people in on a Sunday night. Like it was a Sunday night when we'd do
1: it. Yeah.
0: And usually they they would never get not nearly the patrons. And so they, you know, they'd get beer business. They're like, oh, yeah, y'all come on, do it. This is great. You know. So anyway, so it's been, that's been fun. It's been fun. But it's, it's kind of low key now. It hadn't hadn't had as many.
1: Yeah. And then uh, weren't you uh, with part Neil getting the beer club started up there? Before? You know, I um, wasn't a part
0: of that, but Neil was trying to get me. He was like, Gordon, yeah. you got to join, you got to join. But that was right around the time of my life where kids were just getting a little bit busier. Yeah. And I was becoming more of a taxi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, You know, because yeah. Drew's 14 and Madeline's 11 now, so. Oh, right in the middle um, of
1: sports and everything else. Yeah, that all just that theater, of, too. Oh, theater. I mean, you Drew's did, oh, theater is just insane, so. It's, yeah, it's um, like – Seven nights a week, right? Yeah, yeah, Literally. and then
0: and in Julie, my my wife, doing what she does as a profession. I mean, I sometimes I have to be Mister Mom, uh, so Julie is a, a professional actress here in town, and so she does theater, musical theater, and regular theater. So you know, when that takes over, and when she gets a show, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like yeah, I have rehearsal every night this week, you know, from six to nine or whatever. So it's like. All right. Well I guess I'm dealing with the kids. Yeah. So
1: no hanging out on the eleventh floor when No, all, uh, no going no, to no. play poker at yeah. Yeah. Love, but uh you know. Anyway, but it's it's been
0: great though. It's been fine. But so yeah. So that's kind of the that's kind of the scoop there. Yeah.
1: So, you know, we got a lot we got a lot to peel back that we We'll have more to peel back than uh what we have time for today, but Let's uh, let's talk to the audience about uh, you know who you are, where you come from, how you got to where you're at. Walk us through your journey from you know growing up to getting back here. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, when I was
0: five, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, grew up grew up in Fort Worth. Actually, uh, grew up in, on Berkeley Place in Fort Worth, off of Forest Park. Uh, went to Pasco High School, graduated class of '96 of the Purple Panthers, and and when I was so. I graduated Pascal, and all I knew at that point is that I wanted to go to Texas A&M because I went there for tennis camp because I played tennis in high school. And my dad said, hey, A&M has a good tennis program. Go down there for summer camp. You can learn, you know, if you want to join varsity, you know, in tennis, you got to. So I go down to College Station thinking I was going to hate it because I grew up in the shadow of TCU. And TCU, when I was a kid, was in the Southwest Conference and always hated A&M you know? And so it got, so I thought, oh, fine, I'll go down there. Well, I fell in love with it. I mean, they sold me, you know, it wasn't just tennis. It was also selling you on the traditions and, and all that stuff. So by the time I got into Texas A&M at Paschal, I was graduating, high, I was like, okay, great. My life settled. <laughs> well, a couple of years in A&M, my dad says, you know, Gordon, you can't major in being an Aggie. <laughs> thank goodness. Right. Thank goodness. Uh, thank goodness. That's the case. And I was like, well, OK. He's like, so you, what are you going to do yeah. with your life? You know, and I was like, well, that's a good point. He's like, because, you know, you're eventually going to graduate. and I'm not going to pay for this forever. And so, uh, you know, so basically while I was at A&M, that was when I decided my first love was I wanted to be involved in the TV and film industry. Uh, that was my, my I loved movies growing up. I loved what a movie could do to an audience. And so I thought that's what I wanted to do. And so I ended up, and he's like, so you should, speaking of, this is, so you, my dad's like, oh, so you want to be a film person and you're going to A&M. Great. You know, like, that's not really teaching you much there. <laughs> and so, uh, so I majored in speech communication, uh, minored in business, and quickly moved up to New York City right after that, in May of 2001 is when I moved up there after my Europe trip, backpacking trip with a buddy, and uh, flew straight into LaGuardia. And starting my new life, I ended up getting a job up there as a production assistant on a daytime talk show uh, with Buena Vista Television. And that's a long story about how I was able to finagle my way into that job. Just persistence and talk, you know, this, this connection that my parents had with this gal that lived up there that was a producer. And so for six months, I hounded her, you know, just telling her from College Station, I'm calling her, saying, hey, I really wanna be in this business. I think, anyway, and so long story short, the director ends up calling me and tells me to come up and yeah, I got a spot for you, but I can't, you know, it's 500 bucks a week, like that's it. But if you can get to the city and live up here. And so sure enough, I was like, oh, I'm I'm coming. So went to New York, worked for them for nine months. Uh, 9-11 happened while I was up there. I was in the, I was in Midtown when that happened. And uh, that forever, of course, changed a lot of things. The show after that, everyone was watching the news. And so a, a new talker just couldn't take off, you know. So this, this lady, she was trying to be like Oprah and it just wasn't working. And so ended up, the show ended up getting canceled. I ended up working for the late show with David Letterman, which was fun for the first three months. And then it kind of was like, okay, this is great. I'm seating the audience and, and you know, not really. I mean it kind of lost its luster but i I stuck with it there was no movement in the company i couldn't move up because that place is such a well-oiled machine and so i ended up quitting there after basically the second year and took odd jobs after that to try to survive ended up getting involved with some guys called new world pictures which was a company down here in texas and that was because of my dad one of the guys was helping my dad with his marketing and he goes, oh, we got a movie company. And my dad's like, oh, my son's. Anyway, that's that was the connection there. And so I ended up talking to them for a year before they said, well, if you want to move back to Texas, we got a spot for you. We're shooting a low budget feature over in Las Colinas uh, in 2003. And so if you want to get back down here. And so I was like, well, I was dating this girl, Julie, and she was down there. So that makes sense. New York, I'm kind of doing odd jobs. I'm not really, okay. So I just felt God calling me back. And so I ended up, Renting a car, packing up my crap, and driving cross country back to Texas, and uh, ended up living with my parents during the shooting of the movie. Well, then I ended up getting an apartment in Irving. The movie was great experience. It was amazing to be a part of it, but we had no money. So at the end of shooting, we were out of money, and this was before I was involved with the business I'm in now, of course. And so I told my director I was i needed i was still trying to get this girl to marry me you know i was thinking okay i probably want to marry this girl her dad's you know i don't know if he's gonna let me if i don't have a job and so um so what happened so basically i said to my director i said look my dad knows some investors maybe i could sell them on this deal and raise some money to finish this movie and so my director's like yeah have at it if you think you can do it i mean here's the limited liability partnership here's the private placement Whatever you can do, that'd be awesome, you know, because we just, we need to do payroll. We need to finish, pay off our taxes. You know, we need to go into the post and cut the movie and all that. So I was like, all right. I mean, it was a sharp movie. I I liked it. I thought it was good. It was a good story. And so anyway, I ended up doing that and I ended up raising money to finish the movie about 30 or 40 grand. And so, so that gave me the associate producer status on the movie. That also led me to road securities where I am now. And so while we were waiting for the movie to take off, my dad, who is the head of road security, said, you know, Gordon, you're waiting for this movie to take off. I need some help. You know, maybe you could come in and learn the family business a little bit. No pressure. No pressure. I'm not trying to get you to, you know. And I was like, but, you know, it'll give you a paycheck. You'll be able to keep that apartment in Irving. You know, I'm pretty sure Julie's dad would like that, (laughs) you know, kind of making a joke. So I said, all right, yeah, you're right. I guess, you know, I'm kind of, all right, whatever. And so I ended up working for Road Securities in 2004 or end of 2003, 2004 and start helping with copies and just random crap, answering the phones. And uh, sure enough, ended up falling in love with it. I enjoyed it. I loved looking at the stock market. I loved investing. Uh, I loved the idea of helping people with their money and getting them on the right track. Um, And so I just really started to like it thank the Lord, because the movie really wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> so as, as these things go. And so, um so anyway, ended up getting my series seven after that, uh, six months to a year later, Um, ended up, I, I, I've gotten a few more series 24, series 27. So long story short, here we are in 2022. I'm now the CEO of road securities. I have a book of business and I'm also helping with the day to day of the company. Um, And so it's uh been a a weird loopy journey to going from New York back to Texas and a kind of this grand loop is what I call it. Uh, And then Irving and then officially back to Fort Worth. Now we live in Fort Worth. And so, uh, so as far as the business journey, that's it Uh, along with that in New York and everything, it sprinkled the spiritual journey and the faith-based journey. But that's, you know, that's a whole other caveat to the story. But, but yeah, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's not one of those things, you know, people, when they talk to me, they go, Oh, so A and M, you must have majored in business and worked for your dad right afterwards. No, it's not how it went. It's I had to find myself first, I think. And uh it it it, t- it, it took New York to bring me back, if that makes sense. So and nine eleven had a huge part. I mean, that was a big a big play on that whole thing. So so yeah, and now I'm here and I got to meet you.
1: So yeah. I mean, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah. if it weren't for any of that, I probably
1: wouldn't have met you. So well uh so couple questions. Uh, what was the name of the movie? Uh, so the name of the movie was called Echoes of Innocence. Echoes of Innocence. Did it ever make
0: the— it, You know, it. you might be able to find it on, like, Amazon or something. You might be able to find a DVD of it. It was a faith-based film about a high school senior girl who has visions and hears voices, much like Joan of Arc. So in seventh grade, she did this book report on Joan of Arc and was captivated and she was real strong in her faith. And so she started to have these visions and hear these voices as she got into high school. And she kind of became a goth kind of looking girl and was kind of an interesting – all the kids in the high school called her the virgin because she had – so the movie has a very true love waits message of, you know, she met this boy in seventh grade. They promised themselves to each other. Well, one night in the middle of the night, mysteriously, he takes off. He, he can't tell her why but, he, but he's 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 jumping in this limo to take off and he has to escape but promise me sarah you'll wait for me and so she says okay i promise but where you you know and he's like i can't tell you oh my gosh have faith you know anyway so then the story picks up when she's in high school she's still waiting but she's in high school now and all that stuff that goes on there and so anyway interesting story there's also a a a um Another side story to the movie of she has a vision about this boy in the high school who's going to bomb the school, one of the kind of the trench coat mafia kind of kids, mm-hmm. and uh, it has that kind of message. So it's a thriller, you know. But it's also anyway, it was a great. I loved it. I mean, the acting was great. I love the the kids we got to act in it. And um, in fact, Jake McDorman, who was one of the actors, you've probably seen. He's been on some big stuff since then. Um, he was on American Sniper with Bradley Cooper. Okay, and so he he played Bradley's good friend in the movie who got this diamond for his fiance or something and got shot. And anyway,
1: Oh yeah. 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 yeah, That's, that's, that's
0: that's Jake. And so he, and he was in our movie. I mean, I played golf with the kid, you know, he was a super nice guy. And so anyway, he's the one guy from the movie who's kind of gone on to have some notoriety. So yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, low budget film.
1: So yeah, you're filming. Did the kid ever come back? The one that leaves? Yes. At the end of the
0: movie, he, well, it turns out he's one of the kids in the high school the whole time. And he was getting to know Sarah the whole time, um, but not telling her that it was him. And she, I guess she did That's the only thing my wife didn't like about it is that he. he well, what? She doesn't recognize him. I mean, surely yeah. she, it was only sixth grade or seventh grade. I was like, well, a lot of people change in middle school. I don't. <laughs> so anyway, it's, uh, that was the only thing that was a
1: little P- puberty supercharged to me. Yeah, supercharged right. She didn't yeah.
0: didn't recognize him. Yeah. So, so anyway, well, it was well, a good good experience. So what was it like uh, uh, working with D- David Letterman? Letterman was very reclusive, very private. Um, did not talk to him once, really. Really? Um, I, I saw him. He walked past me a couple times. He would always run the hall beneath the studio before a show. So as a page, as an audience page, if I'm standing there guarding, he would just run right past me. You know, just wasn't very friendly. I mean, he was once the cameras were on, he was great and funny, you yeah. know, obviously. Uh, which is, you know, what he's good at, but he just was kind of introverted. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Now, all of his staff, like all the famous people on there, like Biff, yeah. even Paul Schaefer, were super friendly. I mean, yeah. they were down to earth guys. I mean, and you know, Biff got famous for a while there as his, and he was great. I mean, he was very, you know, just a great guy. And then, uh, Paul Schaefer was fun. I and mean, he was real nice. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, I mean, everyone there was pretty friendly. I mean, we were all young and single in the city and from different places. And so we kind of all stuck together and became good friends. Yeah. And so that was kind of neat to have that, you know, to be in this big city. And I'm from Fort Worth and she's from Roanoke, North Carolina, and, you know, and, and we just kind of bonded. We kind of all bonded and we'd go get drinks after, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. it was a neat experience. But it just wasn't going anywhere money-wise and everything. I mean, it, it, uh, I, I gave my resume to the director. I was trying to, and it just, they, he's like, oh, yeah, this is great. That you're, this is good. This is what you got to do. And he turned yeah.
1: around puts it in the shirt. Yeah, he's like, this is great. Yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> um, oh, you're a page. Okay, see ya. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, you know, it didn't, uh, unfortunately. But it's a well-oiled machine, so nobody left. Yeah. So if you were good at what you did and you were there, you were there. I mean, for the duration. Um, the neatest thing I ever did, I got to do, was Dave Matthews was playing on the roof of the Ed Sullivan Theater. And they filmed it for the show, but then he was going to do a couple more songs because they were just – since he set up, they were going to film it for something else. And the security guards were like, hey, y'all want to go up? Come on. Let's go. And they were, were like, are you serious? Like, So we got to go up to the roof of the Ed Sullivan Theater yeah. and watch him live, Dave Matthews play, yeah. which is really – that was my favorite band at the time, so that was huge. So. That's, pretty, that's yeah. pretty awesome. I'm it was a big fun.
1: Matthews fan, you know. Uh, so two things I want to definitely touch on that you, you mentioned is you mentioned uh, some faith-based things that mm-hmm. happened while you were in New York. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that? Sure. You don't have to, you don't have to step on them if you don't want if to. I hey, if you want, If your audience wants to, you know. So it, here, here's what I'll tell you, okay? Here's a couple reasons I do this show. One, it's America. Merca. And if it's Merca, guess what? The, to me, the, a podcast is the last, having a show like this is the last true form of what I call the First Amendment ability uh, for people to okay. say things. Yeah. Whether and, and, and I'm not here to necessarily debate things, right? I want to hear content. I mean, if the show was about Jeremy Spann, we would have made it six episodes in and nobody would listen to anything else, right? Of and our 80th not. episode dropped this week. We're recording 16 episodes this week. That's awesome. Uh, you know, because we record once a quarter. And so what, what I tell folks is like, look, this is your time. You're the guest. You're the content, right? you mm-hmm. got something to say. Say it, you know? I mean – you know, and uh, like our guest this morning, you know, Gage is over there, kind of shaking his head at, is brought up something just really, really interesting, right? So I was not necessarily for it, or wasn't necessarily against it. I was just interested in learning more about it, right? So, and and here's a, here's the other great thing: if somebody's listening to this episode and they don't like what you say, well, they can hit pause or stop, yeah, and move on, and on, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, so so let's dive into it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. Well. Yeah.
0: Uh, if you want to, yeah, well, that starts, I guess, back when I was a kid, we, I grew up in the beginning of my childhood, we grew up never going to church. You know, we, my dad would play tennis on Saturdays and drink beer. Right. And so that's kind of what my childhood was up into a point. Well, then up into a point, something changed and I ended up going to a, ch- I, we started going to church on Sunday randomly. And that was around my middle school years and then high school years, getting into my high school years. Now, the caveat to this whole thing is that that was great for socialness. That was great for meeting people. I, but I, I, I didn't really think about it. Right. So I looked at church back then, like it was a country club. It's like, oh, this is, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, okay, yeah, we go to, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I guess I'm not Jewish. Right. <laughs> what else can you be? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not Islam. I'm not Hindu. So you gotta be something, you know, so that's kind of the way I looked at it was, and, and that's, subconsciously, that's how I looked at it going when I went to UCC. So I went to UCC over near TCU's campus and it was great. I mean, the people were great. So friendly. I mean, I, I made some good friends there at the time, but I just they didn't really teach me anything. And that's probably not totally their fault. Um, it's probably, you know, I just want listening. But I loved the summer camps. I loved all that stuff, but I just didn't necessarily believe it per se. And But I at the time, I would have said I did at the time. I probably oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. That's great. So, you know, <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's,
1: JC, my man. That's cool. Uh, yeah. What's like, up? Yeah.
0: We, you're in good company. Yeah. Like on Meet the Parents. Right. Um, and so, so you know, so so that was kind of the way it was. I got into A M. Of course, a and I was all about me and chasing girls and drinking and having fun and being an Aggie, like my dad was joking about. So, um, so at a and M, I I really didn't get much anything faith-based either. There were people that tried. I met people that— would talk to me and stuff. And it was always interesting. I always loved it. I remember going to Breakaway. There was this thing at AM called Breakaway, which is this huge Wednesday night, I think it was Wednesday night, music where they play Christian music and this guy talks and everyone goes. And the only reason I wanted to go is because I knew girls went there. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, oh yeah, the girls go there. Yeah, yeah. So I'd go to Breakaway on occasion and I always liked it. I always like, oh, this is, you know, I felt like there's a Seinfeld where George Costanza says, they were talking about Christian music in, in, in her car, like uh, Elaine was dating Putty, and mm-hmm. she's like, "Is it possible that he's about something?" <laughs> like you know, and and she, he goes, and George is just sitting there. He goes, "I like Christian music, very uplifting, you know." But that's it. It's not like it. Meant, it's just more like, yeah, yeah, it's uplifting. So that's kind of the way I looked at it, you know. And so um, still didn't, you know. So then, anyway, so then I go up to New York, and when I was in New York, something happened, and I don't know what it was, but something inside of me. Maybe I saw someone on the street corner preaching or so I don't know what it was, but something inside. And I was up there by myself. I was out of the bubble of a and and literally in this huge city alone. I mean, it really felt that way. And so something got into me that basically said, okay, what is it with this guy? I mean, I see people who love him. I see people who hate him. What is the deal with this Jesus guy? So I was like, okay, what is this just a bunch of, is this just a psychological crutch? What is it? Is it a, I don't want to be bamboozled hmm That's kind of the, the point that I got to, is I said, I, just, I don't want to be bamboozled. Okay. Is this a fairy tale or is this legit? Right? So I started looking into it. I, I was like open-mindedly. I said, okay, let me read some books. Maybe there's some books out there. I don't know. Besides the Bible. I don't want to right. look at the Bible yet, but I'll look at some other stuff. And so sure enough, I started to find books. Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, just to name three authors right there. C.S. Lewis, obviously being the famous apologetic from the 50s and 40s and stuff. And so- Um, so I just started, I started reading. It was, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Hmm. Lee Strobel, this proof of the resurrection. There's some legit stuff here. I mean, that's interesting. It's maybe it's, you know, okay, but yeah, but rising from the dead. Come on. So I still was kind of not there. And up to that point, this is the side note up to that point, every pastor i had ever heard preach, it was very, the best way I can put it is very fluffy. It was very fluffy, be a good person, live a good life. Do the best you can, and let's go out there and work hard together, right? The sermons were kind of self-help. So that was all I had known about sermons. I mean, from the church I went to on down. And so while I'm up there, this girl, again, a girl, but this girl, Mindy, uh, Mindy Morin, who uh, is still – she's married now in Dallas, actually, and great. We, we were really – because she was from Texas, so we really bonded up in the city. And, uh, and she said, you know, Gordon, if you're looking for – if you're searching – I was like, yeah, I guess I'm, I am still searching. And she's like, well, there's a church over here on the west side, a lot of young people, a lot of diversity. I mean, it's really kind of neat. I was like, okay, what's it called? And she goes, well, it's called Redeemer Presbyterian. I was like, okay, well, is who's the, is there a pastor? She's like, yeah, the pastor's name is Tim Keller, which in Christian circles, if there was someone here who was in a big evangelical Christian circle would say, what, Tim Keller? Oh my God. Tim Keller is like now the, at the forefront of apologetics in this country. That was when he was just Tim Keller, a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian. So, so I didn't know who he was, but I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. You know, he's a pastor. He's going to be biased. You know, I don't know if I want to. So anyway, so I ended up going to this church, and his, he absolutely blew me away with his intellect. His, I mean, he was smart. He was logical. He was very brilliant as far as the intellect behind it. And he loved Jesus. And yet, he still had this faith, like childlike love, you know. So it was just very interesting to me. So he really, Tim Keller, really helped flip in my mind a little bit. It's like, okay, maybe there's something to this. So what does that mean? I mean, if there is something to it, what does that mean? Oh my God, what does that mean? You know. And so I kind of got to the point where I was like, okay, if that's if it if it gets to the point, and it, what it to me, what it all hinged on was the resurrection. If it gets to the point. That the resurrection is not only possible, but probable. And if I, through this research, if I realize that, okay, it seems pretty, looking at the history of the church in the first century, looking at the Roman Empire, that you know, all that stuff. Okay, it's pretty probable that this could have been the way it went down. Oh, my God. You know, so that kind of flipped something in my head. And so I basically said, okay, if that's true, then that <laughs> – C.S. Lewis once said, I was the most reluctant convert in all of England uh, because I knew that if that's true, that changes everything. It's going to change everything. And so and it, so in, anyway, it ended up to the point where I, I was like, you know what? I, I can't deny this anymore. I think this is, oh my gosh, I think he really was who he claimed to be. So then after all of that, I finally was like, okay, now maybe I should dive into the Bible. <laughs> I should actually read the Bible. And so I started looking into the the scriptures, and then of course my world was blown up in a in a good way, in an amazing way, and in my psych, psychologically I started changing. I mean, still the same, you know me. I still, well, I like to drink and have fun and play poker and all that, but uh, you know, so I'm not obviously. It's not that you become perfect; it's it's that you become perfect in Christ, and so you're still going to mess up. You're not. You're still a human being, um, and you're still going to. But, but like bill craftson once said this of search ministries here in fort worth i'm not the man that i could be i'm not the man that i should be thank god i'm not the man that i used to be mm. and that's a good mental way of looking at it it said so i tell the, like these atheists in the bible i say look guys i'm not I, i'm in this boat with you i'm not believe me i screw up all the time that's my wife you know but have i changed um has the holy spirit done something to me and I, I would say it has. Um, and there's a couple of little examples of that. But, uh, you know, <laughs> one being Bill tells a great story. Again, this is a Bill Crowson story. Who's <laughs> that guy's unbelievable. Um, he says there was a guy that he had just become a believer. He, he became a Christian. He was, oh, man, this is great. You know, I, I really feel the Holy Spirit, all this. He's like, all right, well, let me put you in this Bible study. Right. You need to study. Up. And he's like, OK, I would love that. Well, after about a month, he calls Bill. He says, well, can we have lunch? And Bill's like, all right. And he goes, look, Bill, I've, I've been in this Bible study for like a year or no, a month. I've been a believer now for six months and I can't be in this Bible study anymore. Bill's like, okay, well, what's going on? <laughs> these guys are awesome. I mean, these guys are amazing human beings. I mean, they are just, I, I am in awe of these guys. And here I am struggling not to get drunk on a Saturday night. And uh, Bill's like, okay, well, are you are you saying that you haven't, seen a difference in yourself over the past six months? I mean, you know, he's like, oh, no, no, Six months ago, it would have been four nights a week that I would be struggling not to get drunk. So kind of his journey, that's his journey. So this guy's journey is, yeah, I'm still struggling. But hey, I mean, I guess six months ago, it was a hell of a lot worse, you know? So, and, and so I, I feel like the big misconception with the faith and what I've really grown to want to talk to people about is that it doesn't, there's, it doesn't mean that you're this perfect human being. Everybody has a journey and a life story they're on. And some people come from dark places, some people come from not so bad places. And so that, that's why we can't judge. That's why it's so imperative not to judge others. and Christians get a bad rap for that, unfortunately. And so, so that's kind of that was my faith journey. And so anyway, so I ended up becoming a believer and another thing that helped with that, the caveat behind that is 9/11. So 9/11 happened. While I was searching, I was in the midst of searching, so to speak, and studying when those planes hit those towers. And the amount of emotion that I felt after that was pretty insane. I mean, obviously for the whole country. And one thing I noticed in post 9-11 New York that helped me also with the faith journey is the love that I saw in post 9-11 New York. How people came together and picked each other up. And so... It kind of clued me into the idea of, okay, can something good come from something so evil? And there's a scripture in Romans where it says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So it's like, wow. So as horrible as this event was, could good come out of it? Well, I'm seeing that in post 9-11 New York. People on the subways actually talking to each other and being friendly. You know, and and I walk home from my studio and on 57th Street right there. And these bunch of people are like, hey man, you want to come over and light a candle and sing? You know, they aren't, it's not like they were church people, I don't think. I mean, they're just regular people. So it was really a beautiful thing. Um, and it bonded me to the city. You know, my mom was like, oh, are you ready to move? I was like, no, you're not pushing me out. You know, I'm staying, you know. Yeah, so brave. I was like, <laughs> I wasn't doing it. So that's, so that's, all of that kind of led to be where I am as far as my faith. And like I said, obviously not, not perfect. Always making mistakes, always struggling, but it's a, it's been a great journey. I've definitely felt the change. I definitely feel that hope, the hope that, you know, give people a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so, um, so I really appreciate you wanted to hear it because, yeah. you know, I know that can be a heavy subject. So. Man, it
1: can, you know, and that, you know, like I said, the show—the show is designed for high performers and intellects, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which means audience might agree, might disagree, might just be trying to learn, you know. And, it, and it's really funny. Is I've known you for a decade, and one of the things I've enjoyed about the show is having people on that I thought I really, really knew, and then learn, yeah, something I didn't know, yeah, right. And uh, because I do, I struggle. A struggle of religion in general, mm-hmm. right? yeah. Which
0: I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, don't. it's
1: you know, as a matter of fact, yeah, you know, so you know, growing up and you know, yeah, church was the thing, but kind of not really, and right, you know, it was. Did you grow up here? Yeah. Did you grow up in Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down down in Burleson. Oh yeah, and um, and then uh, you know, going into the Marine Corps, you know, and then you just kind of fast forward to. You know, it, it's kind of funny. So I've had you know uh, my old padre on before Father Madison, and uh you know, and 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 so like for me, this is why I'm always interested to hear other people's perspectives and journeys, and it's actually quite comforting for someone like me to go. Ah, I don't know, man. I don't want to get bamboozled here, You're right? Like, what, right? You know, because you, you do. Is I mean, at. You know, you, you you know a bit or a bit or two about my background, you know, and I spent many a years standing in the face of evil. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Doing things and even responding and reacting to things that probably no human should ever have to do. And when you do and you see these bad things, it just makes you question, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so is there a God and you know why the heck all, is this why, happening? Like yeah. why? This doesn't make sense and uh and so it's it's really funny in in in, in, a, in a common topic like cuz me and my daughter talk about this is uh not not in the detail of you know things I've done or whatnot, or but like uh you know she's you know she's she went to Catholic school but she grew up in a Methodist church you know and mm-hmm. and so we have these conversations and I just said yeah I said you know I said I'll be honest with you I said you know I said I, I uh I don't I don't I don't know if God will ever forgive me for the things I've done, hmm. but I've been working real hard the last number of years to at least try to facilitate the interview. Hmm. Okay, right? yeah, and I get it, you know. I mean, I, you know, I get the, Hey, Jesus died for your sins, blah blah blah, and I, you know, when I hear all that, and I'm like, hey, cool, man. That's for but for me, but does it. he know what I've done? Right, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, I know he knows. I mean, I, I. I <laughs> You know it's it it's like you know, I do believe there's God, and I do believe in Jesus right mm-hmm. and you know, but i've I mean I've been in places and in austere environments and just seeing things that just doesn't really make a lot of sense sometimes, right, right like, well, why is he present here, but not right. there and right. so forth right, and then uh but you're right, you see you see you know things very bad. You know the the recourse of it is a lot of good things happen, right? Right, and right. so and so that's why I make a joke. You know, it's like you know, hey, I don't I don't know. You know, I mean, I've actually looked at my dad. You know, my dad's old Vietnam vet. You know, and said I remember sitting in Costa Rica, and I said, Do you think he will ever forgive us for the shit that we've done? Yeah, I don't know, but I've worked for a long time, many years, tried to at least do the right thing. Yeah, and uh, so I can at least facilitate the interview. Or as some people are joking, my wife goes, Well, you probably live forever. And I said, Why is that? And she said, Well, he's gonna say no, and then you'll have to go to hell and the devil will be like, Hell no, because you're gonna try to start, start Just stay a, on Earth. A, you're right? Like, you're gonna try to sort of coup take this thing <laughs> over. So no, you'll just have to live forever. Uh, but uh, <laughs> just gave him uh, on earth then. but you know, but it was really funny. And out of all places I heard this, it was with uh, it was on that TV show Boston Legal.
0: Oh, Okay. Remember that with William yeah.
1: Shatner. Yeah, yeah. And him and, uh what was it? The guy's name in the show is Alan, I think, and it's played by Jane Spader. And and they're sitting there having their little cigars and yes, and the, whiskeys, on the balcony or is, whatever. Right? Yeah. And uh, and Alan's a non-believer and Danny's a believer and and Alan says, "What is your proof? Like, what what proof do you have? Like, why do you why do you believe in God?" And he said something that just whether people agree with this, don't agree with this, I don't really care. Right. Because this just made sense to me. Yeah. He said, you know, God's kind of like America's Express card. Better to have it, not need it, and need it, not have it. And then he goes into further explaining. He goes, I think it's probably a better position to be in is better to believe in God. And it turns out to be no God, no harm, no foul. Oh, yeah, Then yeah. to not believe in God, and it turns out there's a God, and well, a little, a little late, a little, a little late to yeah, kind of go, that's well, a... now that I know, you know, yeah. so. In, in the know, apologetic
0: circles, that's yeah. called Pascal's wager. Yeah, yeah. So there was a famous thinker called, uh, I forgot his first name, but his last name was Pascal. And he said, he goes, you know, if I believe, and it's not true, I haven't lost anything. And in fact, I probably gained a lot by just living a better – maybe I've lived a better life, whatever. But if I if I don't believe and it, it turns out to be true, I've lost everything. Yeah. yeah. And so that's – yeah, it's called Pascal's Wager. So that's a very common um, – atheists really hate that argument. They hate they hate that. Oh, yeah, because how Which do you I, argue it, right? Well, and also it's a little bit of a – in intellectual circles, it's probably a little bit of a lazy argument. Yeah, it's you know? cop-out. Right? It's yeah, kind of a
1: cop-out. And, so. yeah. and, and, and I get it, you know, because I'm sitting here – and, uh you know because I get all the different sides of the arguments you know then it, then it's the you know you introduce like whenever I got to uh TCU and of course you know I mean by this time you know I've been in the Marines and been mm-hmm. in the PD and yeah and uh and, and like I said seeing the You've worst seen that humanity, all kinds of stuff yeah seeing the worst that humanity can deliver right and uh I've also seen the best that humanity could offer you know so I, I go look and it wasn't just all negative Nancy stuff here I've seen the worst that humans can deliver, but I've also seen the absolute Some best. Great stuff. Yep, uh, that humans can deliver. You know, and like you said, 9-11, I think was a a good example of that, right? And but living with this, you know, conflict. But you know, so then, you know, because I've been there. I mean, I lived in China, right? Not a lot of Christianity in China, right? right. You know, a lot of Buddhism, right? You know,
0: you know, i i Underground church in China has grown like wildfire. Oh yeah, yeah, over yeah. The past fifty. Well, years. you know, yeah. just
1: yeah. learn. So this is this is one of the funny things that i would learned. So I'm taking this world religions class because I'm at TCU and go oh, to TCU. Yeah. You got to yeah. take world religion, and just learning kind of the other things because I've been in these places to see these other religions. Right, right, right. And uh, which is even to me, you know, it's not just hearing about it. Hey, you know. My neighbor across the street is Muslim. My neighbor to the left of me is an atheist. My neighbor to the right of me is Jewish. You know, or whatever. You yeah, know, the, yeah. the one down the street on the corner is a Buddhist or whatever. You know, I mean, just like actually being in these places and seeing it, and then just sitting here wondering, you know, like God, if God is so big and all and powerful, then where where is His presence here? Yeah. Right. Like, and, and why it, so, are they all the different? Yeah. Right. Right. So it does. It, right. It causes it causes conflict. And uh, and so when I was going to All Saints Episcopal Church, right, and that was kind of and I've had David Madison on here, you know, oh, Father Saints, Madison, yeah. and and, and, uh, and that was a very, I'll just say this was a very dark time in my life, right? Is was, I was I was working through a few things, and uh, when you're at All Saints, at All Saints, okay. right? Yeah. So I had, uh, let's see, I. I This was, you know, uh, 2003, 2004-ish. I mean, I was going to the junior college, wasn't at TCU yet. And so I had had someone who wronged me pretty hard, right? And especially being a, you know, person who has the skill sets that, you know, military spent a lot of money training me to have these skill sets. Right. That was where I wanted to go. Right. Right? Right, right, right. And yep. then, uh, and then I had, uh, you know, so anybody listening to this, if you listen to the episode with David Madison, you hear more into it because I'm not going to spend the whole entire episode talking about it. But I, I just happened to be driving by All Saints and it was just something weird, right? You know, like, man, I, you know, I was, I'm just going to go in here because I'd already made up my mind what, what I was going to do, right? And, and for people like me that come from what I, you know, my design, similar designs, we're committed. <laughs> People don't understand what that word committed means. Right? <laughs> right. And so it's just really weird, you know. And, and and I do look at it, and I do think that that was God's way of saying, hey, why don't you just stop here, you know. Yeah. What's the where's that happened? So you're in, 40, a, you were in a, a mad place. Oh, like I, mad. I was mad. I was I was angry. And, and the thing is, is, you know, and I've never hidden the fact that I was designed to be a very violent person. Because you don't get to go... Join the military and go places and just go, oh, yeah, now we're here to hand out roses and see right, right, what right. everybody's doing, right? Right, right? I was right. a tool. I was an instrument, right? But the thing is, is when a commitment is made, yeah, mad, violent, whatever you want to call it, but actually I was very calm. I accepted what you know. Hey, this is this is a decision I've, I've I've made. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you know it was kind of funny. I think back on it now. You know, is I think there was guy going, "Hey, look, nothing to say you can't go fulfill your commitment afterwards. So what's what's forty five minutes going to hurt?" Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think about that now. Right, because it just you know it, it was just something that just said stop. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily stop what I'm doing. Just like hey, just what's it going to hurt? Yeah. And then so uh anyhow, so I go in there and uh you know, and I was this is how committed I was to my decision. Is uh I was wearing a suit. And I was wearing a suit. How old was, were you at this one? Uh, oh so this is oh three, oh four. I was probably about thirty. Okay. Right? I was twenty nine, thirty. Okay. Right. I'm trying to remember exactly what year it was. And the thing was is uh I I was so committed to my decision, I was like, well, if I If I get my mug shot, I at least want to look good in a suit. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm in there and, you know, you know how it is. And you hear this a million times, you know, you get, you know, you get, they're up there on there and they're talking and it feels like they're looking straight at you and talking to you. And I was like, all right. Okay. And then so as I'm walking out, you know, you got, you know, the, the Padres down there, you know, hey, thanks for coming. You know, good to see you, Bob, whoever else. And a guy named Father Mackin can, you know, he goes, I'm Father Mac. And he goes, what's your name? And I said, Jeremy Span. And he shakes my hand and he goes, hey, you look like you got something important on your mind. And I was like, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh, yeah. Right?
1: Seriously. And he said, I don't know what it is. And he goes, I don't know where you're going. But he goes, but my guess is wherever that is and whatever it is. Can it? Can it wait till tomorrow afternoon? And it was just kind of funny, right? It, it's How interesting. Hear, yeah. You hear this, and you're like, "Yeah, I could probably go do that tomorrow too. I could do it on Tuesday. I can do it any day, any time, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah." And he goes, uh, "Okay, all right." Did he, he goes, want to talk to you after that? Yeah. And he okay. goes. He goes. He goes. Why don't you be here tomorrow morning? And uh, and I said, "Okay." And then so, but just that. You call it intervention. You can call it a pause button, or whatever. Wow. Is, wow! It was enough that that I call it that light switch that we're trained to have, right? That when it's go time, it's go time. That light switch goes off. You got to put emotion out. You got to put. You got to be mission focused, right? right? Right. And it caused that light switch to turn back on, right? Because I turn the light switch off. Turn when it's dark, you don't have to look at anything, right? The light came back on. It was like, so and, and just that forced. And it was probably less than 24 hours from the time I walked out of there to the time I was sitting back down there in his office having a conversation with him. And it was enough that, like you say, when you you said changed everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Changed everything. Because I can tell you, had I fulfilled a commitment I had made, Mm -hmm. well, we wouldn't be sitting here in this room having this conversation today, right? So you were
0: looking for, call it revenge, vengeance. Um, maybe in your head, it's really, it's, it's really like you maybe might have, justice. Yeah.
1: maybe that's the right word. And this was really hard to to explain uh, to folks that are not like I said. It hadn't really been designed to be the tool that I was designed to be, right? right? Yeah, an instrument. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and so it just there was there was really not a lot of emotion. It was just like that happened. This should be the consequence. And I'm here to go deliver the consequence. Right? Yeah. Wow. And it was just. Yeah. It's very unemotional. Like I said, very calm. I wasn't yeah, not angry. It's just like you're okay. Just, it's like I'm there a, to go do a job. Yeah, you're on a mission. Yeah, I'm yeah. there to go do a job. Right, and 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 so it was enough to kind of whoa, hold on a second, and and so it did. But I would still struggle from then. You know, now call it almost 20 years later. Still, still struggle with things. But I did know this, right? Because I don't, I don't ever believe I've ever been a bad person. I don't believe I've ever been an evil person. Believe that I have been designed to go do things that people probably shouldn't have to be designed. I mean, look, no, nobody, nobody, nobody wants peace in the avoidance of violence more than people that have served in the role to dispense violence on your behalf. Right. Right. Yeah. Because we're, yeah. we're the ones that go do the dirty work. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. Real easy for people to go. We should go into Ukraine and fight the Russians. Oh. Oh, so you, Half, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna you're gonna go volunteer to do that? No, 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 no. You're gonna sit there from your couch and go. We shouldn't. By we, you mean me, right? Right? Or the arm? yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Point. You know. You get the point, right? Like, yeah. You want you want us to go put our stuff on the line, mm-hmm. and uh, and I don't care how controversial anybody else thinks it. Like you know, especially with this thing going on with Russia and Ukraine, is like, wait. So you want me to go be committed because you feel strongly? Like, hey, I, I'm not here to argue. Have the Ukrainians been wrong by the Russians and Putin? Hell yeah, and I'm not going to argue that. But here's the deal: is you want us to get all wound up and go in there and get in a fight, which, by the way, is not going to be helpful for anybody. Right, right. It's but more you complicated. Want me to, than you that. want me to do that? Less than a year after the this government, and I'm not. Hey, I'm not pointing to the left. I'm not pointing to the right. I'm not pointing. I'm pointing to all of them. Right. How you treated us getting out of Afghanistan. Well, apparently, we didn't learn a damn thing out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And now you want me to trust you guys yeah. to make the right decisions to go put us in the fight?
0: Right. No. No. Right.
1: No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Because I know what I'm capable of. I know what our people are capable of. I know what we can do. And we're damn good at it. Yeah. That's the reason we've been atop the food chain for so long. Yeah. Right? Yeah. and But— uh, you know, so I I know you know just those thoughts and feelings, right? You know, still kind of brings me back to mm. so no. I've never done anything I, I don't want to say I've done anything bad or done anything evil or anything else like that. I won't say that I haven't done violent things because that's exactly what I was designed to do is do violent things, right mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. if I it, it, the only way to fight violence is to create a, a physics equation of be more violent than the violence that's coming at us, right. right? Right, right, and, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, right? Uh, and so, but I do know that my whole life I've always tried to be, you know, good for people and stuff like that. And I do know that, you know, especially you know that day of walking into All Saints is I my commitment changed to I, I, I'm at least going to facilitate the interview. I'm at right. least going to do enough great things. Yeah. And in, in, in as much of an abundance as I can to at least facilitate the interview, right? And that's just kind of what my mindset has been towards it, right? I mm. want to at least plead my case. Right. Get up there and go, hey, look, I don't know if this is all BS or if I really get a shot because i tried to do the right thing, tried to believe in all that, but I at least want to be able to get the interview. Yeah. Because of all the things I have done. Right. Well. In my
0: life, right? I mean, the good news is everybody's going to get the interview. Every single person on the planet. Yeah. Um. The interesting thing you're talking about, though, that I think what's, what's revolving around this is in the – I'm going to use a Tim Keller analogy of there – basically what has happened is there is – like he started this whole talk. Keep in mind he's a pastor. He started this whole talk at a group of uh, kids at UC Berkeley in – I think it was 2009. And they're, of course, UC Berkeley, right? So they're all atheist agnostics you know, in, in, in the crowd. And he goes, I do want to start off by saying – that I do think religion is a big part of the problem. And everyone's just ghastly silent. He goes, so now that we're all in agreement, and then they all laughed because it it, it broke the ice. He goes, so now that we're all in agreement that religion's a big part of the problem, let me, I I hope to explain why I think Christianity is at the heart of the solution. Um, And so one thing he says in that speech, and it's a bunch of, it's a great, it's an amazing talk, but one of the things he talks about is the the two types of narratives that seem to be going around right now, that one of them is wrong and one of them is right based on what Christianity truly is. And you see it a lot in the South because the South is the Bible Belt, religious. So there's religion and then there's the relationship. So what he called it is the moral-based narrative versus the the grace-based narrative. And so uh, he goes, unfortunately, a lot of Christians fall into, who claim to be Christian, they fall into the moral-based narrative. Well, what is that? Well, and I do it too. I fall into it too. But he goes, what it is is, well, you know, I'm going to work hard to help people. I'm going to help the poor. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Look how good I am. Look how good I'm doing. I'm going to work my way to heaven. There it is. Look at me. God, you should be proud of me, you know. Well, he goes, that's the moral-based narrative. And he goes, and it's exhausting. And he goes, and you don't have to do it christian because you have the gospel so he goes okay so what is the gospel what does that say well the gospel says me tim keller and he so he puts it on himself i am a sinner i am broken i don't even live up to my own standard of what's good right i mean i mess up all the time but it doesn't matter because jesus takes that on himself so the grace-based narrative takes away The – and what happens – and he says what happens with the moral-based narrative is that it turns people into caricatures of each other. So, you know, a caricature like big nose, Mm -hmm. you know, you draw the big ears. Well, he says what happens is, look at me. I'm a good Christian. Oh, and you're not. Hmm. Okay. I'm better than you. Look how good I am. And he goes, and that's that's toxic. And it it doesn't – it's not the case. Because the true believer will say, "Hey, I'm just <laughs> I'm in that boat with you, buddy. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. thank the Lord that I've been that I have Jesus to help." Me. You know, so it, the grace based narrative takes away that slippery slope of judgment, and 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 so I think that I guess what I'm telling you, Jeremy, is I don't want you to put pressure on yourself about have I worked hard enough. It doesn't matter.
1: Well, see, it's funny is I, I get what you're saying, right? On moral yeah. based narrative, but. What makes the moral-based narrative true is who you're comparing yourself to. Right. Right? You're always in comparison. I'm, I'm not comparing myself to anybody. I'm not comparing, you know, hey, I did 10 good deeds, you did nine, ha-ha, beat you, or any right. of that. It is just, I'm going to do the best I can absolutely do, so that way the odds are or, or hopefully more in my favor, you know, once the interview is right. facilitated. And, and, right? and see,
0: what I'm saying is, right. the, the true gospel, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like, the gospel says that God sees you because he sees Christ in you. It's not because of what you've done. Yeah. Now, I think that after you be, I think that as you, you know, Tim Keller says, it's, it is not, we obey to be loved. Because a lot of religions fall in that camp. Yeah. I'm going to, wor- you know, the, is, I'm going to work hard to get, to, I got to work hard so God loves me. I got to work hard to prove myself. Well, Christianity doesn't say that. Christianity says, you know, no, no, no. You are loved already. Therefore, you, you naturally want to obey. It's not that you feel like you are compelled to or you have to. You want to. So it's an after effect of the love that you've already received. And I think that that's the biggest, the hardest thing. Like, you know, so many religions say, I'm going to climb up to heaven to reach God. I have to reach him. Well, Christianity says, no, no, no. I'm going to come down to you. Don't worry. I'm going to come down to you and do this for you because you can't do it on your own. And that gets into the whole human depravity thing, yeah. which talking about what you were saying about what you've seen and the suffering, yeah. all I would say there is one of the hardest things that atheists have a problem with, with Christianity is the, the idea of human depravity. Yeah. So they don't like to be told that they're sinners, that they're broken. Yeah. No, no, no. What are you talking? I'm a good person. Well, compared to me, yeah, you're probably a great person, Yeah. but that's not the standard. What's the standard? Right. Right. And a perfect, yeah. and holy God. Is so when you think of human depravity, You know, and the Bible also does not shy away at one thing that's helped me when I've started finally studying the Bible in New York is that, okay, this is not shying away from the fact that there's going to be suffering and there's going to be a lot of it Mm -hmm. and it's going to suck and it's going to be tribulations and trials. And Jesus says, I mean, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me first, you know, so there's all of that in there. And then you see the world around you and you're like, well, okay, that makes sense. Look at the suffering. Look at all this crap. You know, I mean, and, and so and it's, it's heartbreaking, but it's like, okay, the Bible at least is being honest about it. Yeah. You know, and I tell an atheist, they go, well, how does atheism explain that? The suffering and all that, you know, so it can't because you were just, we're just floating in the breeze, you know? So, so that's, that's kind of the caveat. Is yeah. that, and that's what I found out is that thank God it's not up to me. Good mm. Lord. I'm to- I mean, Bill Craftsman even said, if it's up to me, I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it's, but you know what? It, it's like, you know, you go to the gates of St. Peter and you go to the gates of heaven and St. Peter says, why should I let let you in? Nine times out of 10, people are going to say, well, I, I, I've been a pretty good person. I've li- I, it's not like I've killed anybody. It's not like I'm Hitler. Yeah. And I haven't. You know, I've lived a pretty good life. A- technically, according to the gospel, that's not the right answer. Yeah. The technical right answer would be is like, well, was, why should I let let you in? I truthfully can't think of one reason. But I pray that you see Christ in me. Yeah. You know. And so, um so that's kind of the caveat. And that's what yeah. makes the gospel so hard to swallow. I think that it's offensive to a lot of people because of which I don't blame them because well, it is. It's, well, it's and you know,
1: it's, and it's funny you say that, right? Because I get what you're saying about the difference between, you know, the the two, right? And i am probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I'm sure. not trying to compare myself, no, no, yeah. look yeah. at what I've done. Sure. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, don't I know, need to get I some, know, yeah. Like, ah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've checked some boxes here, and don't get me wrong, I've read Saul, Paul, you know, yeah, yeah. all that. You know, Then I, I see things like a recent deal that I worked with, somebody that I had a lot of admiration for and a lot of respect for and done a previous deal with, mm-hmm. who pounds his chest of, you know, I'm a Christian, go to church on Sundays, try to do good for everybody else. And the deal got hard, right? And, and and there were some unnecessary reasons from both sides of why it got hard, right? So we both could There's easily a lot of it, yeah. we, we could both admit that we had we we both played a part where the, the deal got a little hard. But where I tried to stay fair and you know and on point and ethical and moral, here's somebody that, you know, beats the chest and, you know, hey, Bible on Sundays and everything else, sure had a lot of actions. Along the way from there, that did not align with the yep. words. Yep, and I was like, "Okay, now
0: Absolutely. I'm not
1: blaming God or any, anybody else for that." And that's, but I think that all too many times we see those examples of like, you go around and tout yourself as one thing. Yeah, but when the when the when the dinner bell rings, we find out how yeah. you really are. And I am a, I, I do believe a saying that I heard from a very good friend of mine in my MBA, Johannes King is when they show you who they are, believe them, they're not lying to you. Yeah, yeah, because right? they're showing you. They're yeah. showing you, right? When things get stressful, things get tough. These are the behaviors. Well, it doesn't sound like the things you go around preaching. Right, right. So but when things got real, that's, you can't change the stripes on a tiger, I guess. You I know what's know. so funny
0: about what you just said? Yeah. This is fascinating. Do you know the number one group in the New Testament, that okay, so Jesus obviously right, he yeah. loves sinners. He had tax collectors. You know, he loves all these people. The one group that he got the most agitated with, where you saw his righteous anger, is the religious elite, the mm-hmm. Pharisees and the Sadducees, who do just that. They yeah. parade their religion in public. Look how good I am. I'm going to pray out loud to everybody. And yet, you like goes— how many
1: youth camps I took yeah, down to whatever yeah. country, what I do on Sundays? Oh, I help this one person. Like an, an example was, yeah, we have this one person in this one place. And, you know, and the, the reason the rent's so low is doing a favor for them because they were in a bad situation. Yeah. And
0: they're kind of showing off about it. Yeah.
1: Right. And then it turns out that when it's all said and done, I was like, so when Nick, when it came push, comes to shove. That's the first person you screwed in this deal. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: just it, it, like that. Just like the, it, man, yeah. I'm telling you, it's a. Ama- it is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And he he said in there, he goes, "You den of vipers." Yeah, you hi-, and he said, "You hypocrites." Yeah, your lips praise me because exactly if you've seen me, you've seen the I've Father. Yeah. Your lips praise me, but your hearts are far from yeah. me. So he he called him out. Yeah, and they tried to call him out, which eventually yeah. is why they killed him. You know, and so. So it's a very fascinating thing when I hear people say that
1: because it's, yep. And the only thing that could remotely change my mind that might have a chance of changing my mind on this person, and I I, I can, I could, I, if he, maybe if he admits it, maybe he comes about it. It would be a, hey, can we go get face to face, get a cup of coffee, get whatever, and then just go, hey, look, I think there was enough blame to go around, but I would like to go ahead and publicly say to you, these are the, the behaviors I know that I demonstrated that as, and I really didn't want that get to humble. come out. Yeah. But I apologize. I sh- if I could go back and do it different, I would have done this different. You right? want him to get humble. You right. You want him to get right. humble. Right. Right. And yeah. right, And then it's not going to happen. Yeah. Because you know why? This person has an ego. Yeah. Right? And that's really what came out in this was ego, entitlement, and blame. Yeah. And uh, and who knows, maybe he had shame in the end of it. Because I call that the quadrant death. You're operating in one of those four. That's not good. Operating in two of those, yeah, at the same time, that's bad. You're operating in three of the four. That is that is dangerous. And if you're operating in four of the four, that's catastrophic. You know, it's interesting what uh, there was something that happened, and I know everyone's
0: talking about the Will Smith slap and all that. But there was it was interesting what Denzel Washington said that Will Smith repeated. Will Smith said, you know, D told me, Denzel told me that whenever you get on top, that's when the devil comes for you. Yeah. And he what he meant was, yeah, you get all high and mighty on your high horse. hmm Pride before the fall. That's it, man. You know? And you know? so, uh, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, it's a Human nature is a very, as you've seen, and I, I love talking to your buddy, uh, Kurt Driver. Yeah. Uh, he told me one time, I was asking him his experience as being a police officer. And, yeah. And he just, and I was just asking kind of casually. I'm like, hey, so what was that? And he just got dead serious. And he goes, Gordon... Let me tell you something. There are sheep and there are wolves mm-hmm. and there are sheep dogs. We try our best to be the sheep dogs, and, but the wolves are out there. I mean, oh, They're everywhere. Yeah. It's amazing to hear y'all's stories yeah. of the pure evil you've seen.
1: Dude. And like. here's the funny thing is people want to pretend like there's not a lot of wolves out there. Right. Oh, they are. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're dressed in sheep's clothing and they're just waiting for that opportunity. Seen it. Yeah. Right. Spent 20 between the Marines and PD, 25 years of my life been in that world, watching it firsthand. And that's why I like when I hear things like defund the police and all this, I was like, do you really want? Yeah. Let me tell you what. Good you're luck. removing the one thing yeah, that's stopping the wolf from just taking off that sheep's clothing to be like, I don't even care if you see me coming. Yeah. And I'm a coming. And yeah. when they do, man, once they get that momentum, it takes a lot to put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah, William right. Knight, who's a friend of mine, and he's in my
0: BSF class, actually, my Bible study fellowship. He is a counselor. He's a district attorney, and he deals with a lot of sexual cases, ex- exploitation. And he says, there have been more than one time, Gordon, where I have been in a courtroom and the defendant has walked in that door, and I've just felt this darkness mm-hmm. descend. I mean, Dude. I just—it's weird. He goes, "It's the weirdest thing."
1: Man, I'm telling you. So when I was, uh, you know, when I worked sex crimes for a long time, and then uh, when you and I met, I was working human trafficking. Right? Oh, well, yeah. Let me just tell you, those are they're, they're, Those are those are some folks right there that are. I mean, it is a it is a level of evil. that, yeah. that you can just see it off of them. You know, and and it was kind of funny. I had uh someone, and this is a couple of years ago, goes, Well, couldn't you be considered evil? I mean, you've done very, very violent things. And I go, I could see how they'd be misconstrued. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure, I misconstrued, said, yeah. I was I I was an instrument. I was a number, and I was a very good instrument. I was a very effective instrument. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But the reason I was willing to be that instrument of violence was to protect you. To protect I was willing to go stand in the face of violence and demonstrate violence so that way it didn't show up on your front doorstep. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to look at me and say, well, it takes evil to protect evil, call it whatever you want. I get it. I get how that can be very confusing. But I said, let me tell you something. There is evil out there. That is not trying to be evil to other evil to prevent them from getting on your doorstep. That evil out there is doing everything they can to get in your doorstep. Yeah. And they will never stop trying. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you know, now is a time where we, we instead of. You know, defund the police, please are bad, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I mean, man, look, my last job before I, you know, drop papers to leave is I was running internal affairs in the 12th largest police department in the United States. People go, oh, man, that job must suck. And I says, well, it was suck dealing with politics and stuff. Yeah. That's really where it was at. Yeah. That's like where a lot of people it. with stars. And the good thing is, is I don't care if they're listening to this, I don't care what they think. Yeah. There was a lot of hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of, well, one, one person with some stars does it this way. Another person with some stars does it this way. And there were agendas. There were yeah. political agendas. That's what I didn't like about it.
0: Any big group like that. Right, I right. Mean,
1: you know, because you know, I was like, look, do officers do knucklehead stuff? Yeah, I did knucklehead stuff. I had days off without pay for doing knucklehead stuff. There are a handful, and I mean, like literally one hand. Yeah. You count them on one hand. Bad officers did not belong there. We knew who they were, and we were trying to get rid of them as fast as we could right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. once we identified who they were, right? But it's a very, very small population. So instead of leaning away and supporting the very element that keeps the wolf at bay, right? Because the wolf is not gone. The right. wolf's wearing sheep's clothing, hoping that you don't find out that this wolf is not worried about not wearing that sheep's clothing anymore. Right. And they're sitting there, and you wanna, you, want you want to lean away instead of leaning into the very entity, which is the only stopping power. Yeah. Because let me tell you, when wolves feel comfortable enough that they don't have to wear that sheep's clothing anymore, Bubba is going to be a tough time. Yeah. And it will take a considerable amount of time to, again, put that genie back in a bottle. Yeah. So I do believe in good. I do believe in evil. There was a great
0: there's a great scene that I love. thinking exactly what you said, and I agree. And it always chokes me up when I watch the movie and see it. But there's a scene in A Few Good Men mm-hmm. where – they're kind of, you know, Tom Cruise and the other guy and Demi Moore are kind of fighting about this whole concept of, you know, he says, "Well, they, they tortured a younger kid," you know. She says, "Why do you hate them so much?" And he goes, yeah. "Because they tortured he, they didn't care. He couldn't run very fast, so they killed him." You know, blah blah. blah. Which obviously it turns out they didn't kill him on purpose. Yeah. And uh, as as he's she's walking out, he says, "Why do you like them so much?" And this is the greatest. Demi Moore turns to him and says, "Because they stand on a wall, and they say nothing's going to bother you tonight." Mm-hmm. not on my watch. And that's kind of what you were saying. Yeah. It's like, you know, and I thought that was a great line from that movie.
1: No, no, um, I know exactly what so. line you're talking about. Well, so I like to end every one of these going, uh, let's say you opened up a time capsule and you had a magic device that said, hey, this is 20-year-old Gordon and I, you have five minutes to fly back in time and I'm willing to listen to one thing of do or don't do this That I will absolutely practice carrying forward. If you could turn back the hands of time to twenty-year-old Gordon, what would you go back and tell twenty-year-old Gordon? Oh my gosh, twenty-year-old Gordon. I think
0: if I could tell twenty-year-old Gordon one sentence, um, I would probably say, "I'd be like, all right, Gordon, all this, this, this life, this life you're living, this whole, the whole purpose of life." It's it's not about you. That's it. Life is not about you.
1: Have we had one yet? Not to date. So we're we're we are now ninety. This will be our ninety second episode wow. that we've recorded. Uh, we got another That's four awesome. board to go. There, gates tomorrow. That's all, uh, and you know what? That was exhausting, <laughs> and you have to do four of them. Oh, dude, we're doing sixteen this week, man. But here's what I'll tell you: this is this. I ask that question at the end of every one of these, and we've had some that have been similar, but I haven't had anyone give the same one yet. Ninety-two different responses. That's amazing to date. That's amazing. That is candor. That's pretty amazing. That's what makes this. That, that's really what makes this show awesome. Is and and it is because when you when you kind of get. Caught with it, you know, because you hear me say, Hey, you're going to know we're at the end of this because this is what we're going to do. Right. You don't really think too much of it. And yeah. then when it's like you've had a chance to sit here and talk about your journey, because how many, this is, and I think this is one of the things that the show does. How many people have ever sat down and said, Hey, tell me your entire journey? Yeah. And you did it in one setting. Yeah. Usually people don't have attention well, span or want to listen, right? They want to interrupt. Oh, but wait, let me tell you mine. Well, and right. you're, you're talking over a drink and you're, BS, right. you're just BSing yeah. and, you know, so, it's like. So you know. I think that's part of why the magic happens when we ask that question is because someone's been able to go back through their journey and go, you know what? Actually, thinking about what I just talked about, if I had to go back, I think this is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that makes it that makes it really, really cool. All right. So oh, dude, that was people, awesome. people got money, and they want to spend it with gene money. Where do they go? How do they <laughs> find you? Where, where, where do they go? Oh my you? gosh, we're actually talking business. This is yeah, amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so, based, so my firm is Road Securities. We're a broker dealer, registered investment advisor. Uh, well, the registered investment advisor is actually Rhodes Investment Advisors. So, but we go by Road Security, you know, just to make it easier. And we basically help people with their nest egg. So if you have money that you need to invest in the stock market, um, Public markets, we don't really do private placements or anything like that, um, and you need a good quarterback is what I tell people. It's like if you have your household wealth and you need a quarterback to put the ball in the right spot, then that's what we do. And uh, we have about 20 independent financial advisors that kind of specialize. You know, there's a, my dad once told me there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And so in, in, in our business, there's a lot of different ways to invest, to skin a cat, so to speak. And so they all kind of have their own nuances. You know, some of them do 401k plans. Some of them just do individuals. Some of them like to work with families. Um, so just, you know, kind of pick your poison, so to speak. Yeah. Where do they find um, you at? How do they get Uh it? They yeah. find, so we are in the Fort Worth Club building. On down, but our phone number, 817-334-0455. Uh, we have a website, roadsecurities.com, which gives all the disclosures and all that oh, kind yeah. of fun stuff. License with FINRA, all that stuff. Um, and then, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of it. Either the phone number, website, my email is gr at rsi2.com. So it's kind of that simple. You just write an intro and usually if someone, if a prospect comes to me and says, Hey, I might need your help. We have an intro meeting, maybe over a drink, maybe over Mm -hmm. a coffee, just to kind of see if we would be a good fit and if they're a good fit for us and we're a good fit for them. So, because we don't want to work with someone that might, it might be a bad fit. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we want people to have the best experience. So 100%. Yeah.
1: And if you were driving down the street and you didn't have a chance to write all that down as usual, you'll hear me say, go to our website, my experienced realtor.com experience with an ed. Click on podcast, scroll on down to Gordon Rhodes, and we will have this on the read more. And as always, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, you go to the homepage, click find a trusted professional, and we will do all the vetting to make sure you get the right person. Gordon, thanks for coming. Hey, man. On the thank show, you bro. so much. That yeah. was awesome. A lot of fun. Yeah.